0: Classic Hollywood romance was never what it seemed to be. In the case of Jean Harlow and Sharon Tate, two women of equal fame and following, troubled romance would be the least of their worries. I'm Christina. And I'm Kristen. And today on The Real Crime Podcast, we will be discussing the tragic location that would rock the lives of not one, but four Hollywood stars and... Charles Manson, The Harlow Burn House. So just when we thought that we were done talking about Charles Manson, here we go again.
1: Right.
0: I actually, I didn't know about the connection until I started researching, which is one of the many reasons why I love doing this show. Um, I know more about murders than I ever thought I would want or need to.
1: Yeah, same. But this is a really cool connection. It is.
0: It is. Like the, the whole thing's really nifty. So let's start, I suppose, with the home itself. The Harlow-Byrne House at 9820 Easton Drive in Benedict Canyon, California, is so-called because it was built and first owned by Gene Harlow and Paul Byrne. The house literally looks like the house where the witch would have lived in Hansel and Gretel. And it's like just the perfect fairy tale cottage. It's
1: so cute. It's so freaking cute. It's, but it's like also... A mansion. Right. It's got like I mean it is, but it's not like massive, massive. You know oh, what I mean? Well, if it was the witch from Hansel and Greta, yeah, Gretel. Yeah, no, she, she would have lived had had in to the be high life like, for sure. Really rich. She's
0: killing <laughs> lots of babies there. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's even got like one of those little turret things, like the towers that come off of it. So I can imagine that would have been incredible. Like dream come true. It was also tucked back from the road and surrounded by pines and just a dream for both of them. It also had some kind of less fairy tale features to it. Uh, For example, there were faces and like super creepy, realistic faces carved into the side of the home, like gargoyles peering down. But
1: like human? Right. Like human gargoyles. Really creepy. Super creepy. Also kind of cool. And I want to do that. I mean, it's, it was definitely a unique feature, but like. It's really bizarre. if like the... we ever build a house, I'm going to have to do that. Okay,
0: okay. I'll I'll carve them for you. How does that sound? Then, then they'll be I mean... really really <laughs> creepy.
1: They'll be so disturbing. Are they it'll look like human. <laughs> they'll
0: they'll look like all of them will look like me but with different faces. So I'll just be like with you all the time and watching you. How I love does that, that sound. Yeah? It's yeah. good. It's good. All right. So these faces were actually faces of Burns' close friends. Uh, one see? was like, n- right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so like not far. Um, one of them was actually never officially identified, but perhaps that'll come up again. We'll I have see. a feeling it will. See? Now, for those of you saying who the hell is Gene Harlow and who the hell is Paul Byrne, we'll tell you because that's nice. And some of you are youngins. I know that. So Jean Harlow was an actress in the golden era of Hollywood glamour and magic. She was kind of the baddie of the day, if you will. She was a sex symbol of the silver screen, the it girl that men wanted to be with and women wanted to be. She was the original Marilyn Monroe, right? The original blonde bombshell, like literally that's what that she was one of the first people that was ever referred to as a blonde bombshell of the screen, which is really cool. So her flame burned very bright, definitely brighter than all of MGM's starlets, but it burned out just as quickly by the age of 26. Jean Harlow would be dead from kidney failure, So there were rumors that swirled about her demise, and it would appear that she had uh, contracted an illness which attacked her body after a bout of scarlet fever as a child. Possibly. So that's, yeah, that's one of the theories. There are other theories as well. Poisoning, you know, something more sinister. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Be into a pulp. Yeah, yeah. She didn't, she didn't have the best life. Uh, We're not going to go too deep into that, but she definitely didn't have the best life. Something that I will point out, though, is Jean Harlow is not her name. Uh, Like many starlets of the day, she picked a, like, a stage name. (laughs) But it happened to be her mom's name. Yeah. So Jean Harlow is actually her mom's name. And, like, she
1: and her mom didn't have the greatest relationship? No, her mom like wanted to move her to California because her mom wanted to be the star right. and Jean kind of just fell in, like little Jean, right, kind of exactly. just fell into it. Like, like she was oops. literally driving her friend to a casting interview and some guy came up to her at the window when she was waiting in the car and was like, hey You eat- want to be on pictures? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, I mean that's how I picture it, so <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And she was like, no, not really. And he was like, well, here's my card. And then she wow. went home and ended up calling I guess obviously wow. and that's how she kind of literally fell into it but yeah. her mom like tried to push for this because she you she know, wanted, wanted to, to live vicariously yeah absolutely because she was told she was too old at that time to be a star herself which is which what was she like 29 probably no. <laughs> it's so disgusting oh my god probably not even no I know exactly she I
0: was like what was she 16 no <laughs> they're like you're too old um so it it's a weird thing, but I also wonder if it was almost like Jean's way of kind of paying homage to her yeah. mother in a strange way. That would Maybe. make sense. I don't know. Now, Paul Byrne. Paul Byrne was kind of a douche, uh, a womanizing douche at that. <laughs> Definitely not my favorite human being. He was also an uh, MGM producer on top of being a douche. And he helped launch Jean Harlow's career. So during his career building, he and his common law wife, Dorothy, I'm it's spelled Millet, but I'm assuming it's like Millet or something along those lines. Oh, I
1: always I've heard it as Millet Millet. OK, OK. Either way, we'll take it. Three possible ways you pick your favorite. It's like a
0: choose your own adventure. Um, and that's a thing. As far as like the common law marriage, we were trying to figure out exactly what that means, and I'm guessing there's state by state regulations on that. But essentially, it's like if you live together for X number of years, you're considered married, like a under domestic the
1: eyes. partnership, I right. guess. But like
0: without an actual marriage. Weird
1: because uh, there's a lot of research done for this episode, right. of, like her life, and right. we kept coming across people calling Dorothy his wife that he never divorced from but like how does that work like wouldn't you if it's common law because you live together and and then you you stop living together wouldn't that be like a divorce that's what i would think (laughs) that's what i would think it's a common law divorce i moved out like i'm not i'm not here anymore that's it although you know he didn't lose contact with her so maybe not Eh, eh, ain't that the truth so now at this point Paul
0: basically supported Dorothy in every way financially um you know kind of kept her on her feet kept her up she suffered from mental illness which actually landed her in a sanitarium in Connecticut and I really wonder if it was Newtown's Fairfield Hills which we've covered I couldn't find where she was in Connecticut I'm sure if I dig a little deeper I might be able to but
1: um I know that's her but exactly
0: exactly was just such a huge hospital at the time and yeah. it would have been popular and available at the time that she would have gone into it. So um, basically Paul then after she kind of goes off into this mental health facility Paul's like well got to find somebody else to love and lands him directly into the arms of this gorgeous up and coming Jean Harlow and a few other women, too, because, like I said, Paul was a
1: womanizing douche. And <laughs> so. also, mind you, Gene Harlow was, like, 21, and he was 42.
0: Yeah, it, it was – I have a feeling that there was a lot of arrangement to their marriage, like so many starlets of the time had. You know, they'd, they'd kind of create these fantasy or romanticized relationships between – Actors between, you know, if suddenly you'd see that two leading actors in a big movie coming out were being spotted together around the town. And it would be either scandalous or excitement because, oh, they're really together. So it's not just on the movie screen. It's everywhere.
1: Like when Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams started dating after the Notebook, Yes. Because they still do that. Um, And that was probably a little more natural,
0: but it was very exciting for everybody involved. (laughs) Yes. And uh, whatchamacallit, the Twilight Kids.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were together. The Twilight Kids. The Twilight
0: Kids, you know. I'm 95 years old today. Yeah, but the Twilight Kids, they were, you know, they're a thing or were a thing. So... Harlow and Byrne married in 1932, and then soon after moved into their perfect little creepy face cottage. But less than two months later, Paul Byrne was found dead by a gunshot wound to the head. His death was originally ruled a suicide, uh, but the case was actually reopened in 1960 and again in 1990 when an alternate theory was provided by Paul's former friend and colleague, Samuel Marks. So you see Irving Thalberg, who was another MGM executive, was actually called to the scene before the police when Paul Byrne's body was discovered. And it's believed that he tampered with evidence, big surprise, huge scandal, can't imagine that happening, definitely doesn't still happen to this day, and made the the death look like a suicide.
1: For two hours, the MGM executives were there yeah. before the police were called. They I even mean, called Jean Harlow to let her know that he had passed. Like just bef- an
0: FYI, your husband's dead, we're right. taking care of it.
1: Before they called the police crazy because she wasn't home at the time right crazy crazy crazy
0: they even there was like a suicide note found um which i find interesting because it doesn't necessarily make sense and i i have it here so i don't know if you've read the suicide note i'm guessing okay the suicide note said dearest dear unfortunately This is the only way to make good the frightful wrong I have done you and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you, Paul. Then in like a postscript, he writes, you understand that last night was only a comedy. Uh... I don't know what that means. So a
1: couple things. People <laughs> okay. there's like so many different theories on right, this. Like right. we could go down rabbit holes and so rabbit holes. So many rabbit and holes. I just went down like, you know, I poked my head down a couple. Tiny,
0: tiny holes. But yeah. I didn't
1: actually flashlight it in yeah. and then you're like, No, I'm good. I'm okay, good. Yeah, no. Coming back up. Um, but some people believe that they had been fighting the night before yeah. and there was this huge rumor that he was impotent.
0: Oh.
1: And that's like his marriage to Jean Harlow was like trying to combat those rumors. Got it. Got it. Um, And then Jean Harlow was like, fuck, it's true. Right. Because they didn't only marry for two months. So right. they were getting into a lot of fights. Oh and like he became physical with her in the abusive sense. Yeah. Not in um, the non-impotent way. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So they actually, I don't know if this is fully true or not, but I read somewhere that they actually put in his um, autopsy report that he was not well endowed. Oh. Which is a weird thing to add to an autopsy report. That's a really like add like in, like you're already dead by the way your dick's right. small. Like, but like not even just small but like micro small. Oh my god. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, he must again. Have been I don't know if that's actually true or if that's just wow. one of the rumors because there are so many So different... many.
0: And since he was a womanizing douche, we can say whatever we want about him because I
1: don't feel guilty right. about it. But if that is the case, then that would make sense with the
0: I mean, I think that's grounds for annulment,
1: if the I'm not mistaken. humiliation. Yes. Yes, would, is, yes. Uh, fit that. Yes.
0: And I, I think too, like, that's also grounds for annulment. So if like she was planning on ending the marriage, then that would have completely destroyed him on a personal level. So it would have made things career wise, very messy. Well, it would have
1: destroyed both of them probably career wise because this was not her first husband. Right. And so like, so at the age of 16, right. She actually got married. Right. And then divorced and was remarried again by 21. Right. Crazy. So, They
0: did this whole suicide cover-up basically to protect their starlet, Jean Harlow, or at least that's what's believed. But if it wasn't a suicide and Jean Harlow wasn't there, then who killed Paul Byrne? Well, according to many, it was that ex-common-law wife, Dorothy. You see, she and Paul never lost touch, as Kristen was mentioning. And that unidentified face carved into the home that he shared with his young bride definitely looked a lot like dorothy crazy yes on top of all of that she actually ended her own life just days after his passing by drowning so
1: herself so that's not even like the least of it yes yeah, so yeah. basically she that's that's like the abridged version right. yeah they had like been in touch and um He paid for her to come from New York to L.A. Yes. Where he was living with Jean Harlow. Right. He paid for her penthouse suite. Mm -hmm. She was in L.A., not very far from his house, the night that he died. Right. And then she left on a cruise like a day later. And when that cruise docked, she was not on it. Yeah, she she jumped from. like a week later. It was like
0: the Delta something or other. I think it was it was not a cruise ship necessarily, but like a steamboat. I think she was on, and they believe that she, you know, drowned herself. Who like took herself off?
1: Either because she killed him and couldn't live with the guilt, Or or he was dead and she was devastated, or because he had been, you know, providing for her all of these years, and she found out that. Uh, he had actually signed everything over to Jean Harlow in his will. So once he was dead, she got no money. Oh, my God. And she was on her own. That's rough. Also,
0: I, I still feel like it's very strange that there was a circumstance where that early on in the marriage that he felt the need to sign everything over to his new bride.
1: Yeah. I wonder
0: I wonder if the studio was trying to get rid
1: of him for some reason. Possibly. That's, that is a... Uh... A theory. A theory. Another theory is that the studio had Dorothy killed also because she was the only other person that would have known about their little common law marriage that was curious, was or was not still intact. Wow.
0: And I mean, obviously, they're doing all of this to protect Jean Harlow. So
1: and their studio and their studio. Also, there was there are rumors that the um, butlers who found Paul Byrne, also found by the pool. A bathing suit, definitely not belonging to Jean, and two wine glasses curious. from the night before. Very curious. Where Jean, Jean was actually, so she wasn't home, as we said, but she right. was staying with her parents that night. She was supposed to be having dinner, well, her mom and stepdad. Right, right. Yeah. Crazy. So, at
0: this point, it's still the 1930s. We've already had a tremendous amount of tragedy in one home. And we're nowhere near the wild 1960s and the Manson murders. So how in the world does good old Charlie come up into this conversation? Well, I'm here to tell you. Oh, thank God. Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) I'm here to tell you. So the year's 1963, and Jay Sebring, whose name you've likely heard before.
1: And if you haven't, you can pause this episode and go back to... Our Charlie Manson episode. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the uh, Tate house, you know. So Jay
0: Sebring purchased this house, this adorable little Harlow Burn cottage in Benedict Canyon. And his then-girlfriend at the time, Sharon Tate was known to stay there. Makes sense. It was the swing in 60s. Nobody was a virgin. It's cool. So Jay wasn't an actor, but he was kind of the golden boy of Hollywood hair. His name was synonymous with well-known actors, hairstyles and cuts. He kind of revolutionized the way things were done. And Sharon Tate, of course, would not stay with Jay. She would go on to marry Roman Polanski, but she and Jay never lost touch. They remained good friends, which is what caused Jay Sebring to be at Sharon's rented home on the fateful night. It was there at 10050 Cielo Drive that the Manson clan would massacre all in the home, including Sharon, who was also just 26 years old, and Jay Sebring who was 35 at the time of his death.
1: I just want to mention that Sharon Tate was 26 and Jean Harlow was also 26 when she died. Not in the same home, but like they had both. That's
0: why I mentioned At
1: one point resided in set home. That property.
0: So what's even more bizarre is that prior to all of this, Sharon was asleep at the Byrne Harlow house when she was started awake. She had what she thought to be a very vivid dream or perhaps a premonition of some kind where she saw a small man warning her. And as she moved to look down the stairs, she spotted a person who she thought could have been her or possibly even Jay tied up to like the railing of the staircase with their throat slit hauntingly. This isn't far off from the truth of their fate. The small man. Well, he was believed to be the ghost of Paul Byrne.
1: So, also during this little premonition she had, she didn't realize if she was. You know, she thought maybe she was dreaming. But as she walked down the stairs, she like leaned against a bookcase that popped out into a like one of those bars because you know the house was built right. pretty much in Prohibition times. Yeah. So, and also Secret that's bars. really freaking cool. it's amazing
0: that's the way you spend money people okay if anybody that (laughs) listens to us gets super rich that's the way to spend money anyway a bookcase that pops (laughs) out into a secret bar
1: secret passages always an option always so she poured herself a drink sat down had the drink and then went to go back upstairs but then she was like no i'm gonna peel a little bit of the wallpaper by here just so like i can Like, remember this or see if it's real. So the next morning she wakes up or she goes back to bed. The next morning she wakes up. She's like, okay, so that was a really weird dream. She talks to Jay about it and turns out that wallpaper was still peeled away and there was a pullout bar there that they hadn't known about. So crazy. And someone actually confirmed like years down the road that there really is that bar like, like in the in the bar, house in the house, like wow. it does exist. One of the owners, like in the, I don't know
0: later yeah. l- later on, d- sometime after nineteen sixty, yes, something crazy. That's that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And to this day, the the property is still privately owned, uh, but has now actually been split in two. So originally ninety eight twenty Easton Drive in uh, Benedict Canyon was the main house and a carriage house at the bottom of the hill that was closer to the road, which is where, you know, the help lived. So any butlers, maids, that sort of thing. Now, the carriage house itself is listed as 9810 Easton Drive and is completely separate. They're they're separated properties um, from the main house up the hill. The main house where Byrne died was last sold for eight hundred and fifty-five thousand in two hundred and fourteen, and is now valued at about one point five million. And let me be totally clear: this is only about a fifteen hundred square foot house. It's three beds, three baths. We're not talking the mega mansions of the homes nearby. It's it's truly a cottage in comparison. However, there's another house Yes. Involved.
1: While we're talking about Jean Harlow, I would be remiss if I did not bring up her other house, 1353 Clubview Drive, which is also in L.A. You know, this is the one she was staying at when she received the call that her husband, Paul Byrne, was dead. Now, this house is also where they had gotten married just a few months prior and where I believe her parents were residing at this time. And by her parents, I mean her mother and her stepfather. So... Um, This house is sold further down the line in the 1960s, and the couple that moved in reported almost immediately some really bizarre, creepy happenings. They had two dogs, and of course the dogs were the first to pick up that something was not quite right. They would always be barking at the upstairs, and the wife reported hearing a woman whisper, help me, into her ear. They also reported waking up to a heavy unseen object knocking on their bedpost three times in the middle of the night. Also, you know, the normal lights turning on and off on their own, random cold drifts throughout the house, the normal haunted happenings. But the next one is really creepy. So both the husband and the wife reported having the same dream on the same night where they are in their bathroom and the bathtub is like bubbling over when a creepy hand reaches out from the bath, touches the light switch, gets electrocuted and then recoils back into the bath. Now they wake up, and since they both had the same dream, they decided to call an, electrici- an electrician Okay, who informs the couple that the light switch was super outdated and needed to be replaced immediately because it was super dangerous, and they could be electrocuted at any time.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So, super creepy. So creepy. Just, I mean, just the idea of, like, a
0: creepy hand coming out of a bubbling over bathtub. Like, is, also, like- it was helping them. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like, a real nice thing, but, like, so disturbing. Yeah. So
1: disturbing. So, anyway, I just thought that that was worth mentioning in this episode, because if not now, when? And uh, there is a bunch of other hauntings at that property. Yeah, but, but that's, that that's was a good the, one. That was the main one I that's wanted a, to mention. That's a
0: really good one. Ugh. And plus, it's, like, positive outcome, and, like, that's where we should leave it, right? Positive yeah. outcome? Yeah. Totally. So that, ladies and gentlemen or probably mostly ladies, but hi, gentlemen, Um, is the Harlow Burn house. And we thank you so much for tuning in today. And we will be back next week with, I think we're covering the John List murders, which I'm pretty excited about. I need to dig in and do some research, but I'm pretty excited because that's a wild, wild story as well. So we'll see you then. All right. Bye. Bye.